Hi, this is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti, and welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. Our guest this week, our longtime NFL executive, Scott Pioli, and former Gonzaga basketball star, Jalen Suggs, who's expected to be a top five pick in the NBA draft later this month. Jalen was a star quarterback in high school, but he chose basketball, and it turned out to be a great choice for him. His passing skills, though, are certainly helping him on the court. So stay tuned for both of those conversations. We're going to kick it off with Scott Pioli, who most recently served as assistant GM for the Atlanta Falcons. He won three Super Bowls as a personnel director in New England. He's also worked for the Browns, the Ravens, the Jets, the Chiefs. I sat down with Scott before the NFL's Ozzie Newsome general manager forum last week. Here's my conversation with Scott Pioli. Scott, you're going to be speaking at the inaugural general manager's forum. So first off, how important do you think it is to have this forum to help increase diversity in front offices in the NFL? I think it's critical, and I think it's – I'm glad that the league is being intentional about doing it because all of this work, Rob, needs to be intentional. Again, in the past, in the history of our country, what we've done is we have – there are groups of people that have intentionally marginalized folks. So now what we need to do is intentionally create programs and opportunities for people from marginalized groups to advance. So the fact that they're doing this now or we're doing this now as part of the NFL to help people advance and get exposure and get educated and become better and be mentored is a fantastic initiative by the league, I believe. Well, as a former front office executive, you know that the owners have a lot of input, of course, into who they're going to hire as head coach. How would you say that dynamic is? Is it the general manager bringing the candidates to the owner and then the owner having final say? Is it a collaborative effort? How does it work? I think it's different from club to club. I think this the owner is obviously always involved, yet some owners take more ownership, so to speak, in the process than others. But at the end of the day, it does come down to the owner's decisions. But who they listen to is what's most important. Are they listening to their general manager? Are they listening to a family member? Are they listening to, um, you know, the president or someone on the business side? So there's a lot of people with information coming to the owners, helping them make that decision, which is why this is really important now, too, because generally speaking and historically is most people in those positions of power look like me and they look like the owners. So they generally speaking, don't have a great deal of proximity or circle of friends outside of people that don't look like them. So very often the people that are brought to owners or the people that are, you know, talked about with owners are, are people that look like them. So how encouraging do you think it is that we saw some progress made as far as minority increase in the general manager openings this past offseason. You know, Rob, I would say I don't know if I'm at the place to say uh, that I'm encouraged yet. I think it was a small step, quite honestly, but we're still so far away. And too often, it seems like there's been periods of times where we've had one step up, two steps back. And I kind of feel like we're in that situation now where we've made one step up a couple of years ago. Now we're maybe three steps back. So to me, you know, the, the word progress is all relative. And, and my personal, again, this is me speaking personally, my personal satisfaction with how we're growing, how we've grown, how we've evolved is I'm not very satisfied because, again, I don't think that we're, we're doing a good enough job. And that, that's my, my personal feeling. I think, again, progress is all relative. 
you plan to speak on the head coach owner relationship. Yeah. How do you view that dynamic? And as you say, it's different, right? From club to club and some owners may have a whole lot more input than others. So you know, give me a little bit of a preview without giving away all of your material. Yeah, no, I, this is a great question. I appreciate it because my, you know, I worked with Ozzie Newsom, and I'm so thankful that the NFL has decided to name this this program after Ozzie. I worked with Ozzie for six years, a couple of years, it was five years in Cleveland, and then one year in Baltimore, the first year in Baltimore. And I saw Ozzie, and I saw his relationship with Art Modell and how he had to navigate that. So without giving the secret of the story, I have a tremendous Ozzie Newsom story to share with the group uh, next week when we talk about this and uh, to talk about not only the relationship between the head coach and the general manager and owner, but all three of those relationships, because those are three independent relationships of very influential and powerful people um, with 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 great skills and abilities that have to collaborate and work together. So I'm going to hopefully talk about all of those relationships and the interdependency of those relationships and use Ozzy as an example. Scott, when you see Bruce Arians hire a black offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, two women coaches, and then go out and win a Super Bowl, how influential do you think that could be for other coaches in those positions to maybe look at minority candidates for coordinator positions because that's going to elevate guys, right? That's going to be the next step, coordinate. So how much does his success and his being intentional about it, could that influence guys? Rob, I think it, it's just like anything. The information is there if people want to pay attention. That information, that knowledge is there of how Bruce did it and the people that worked with him. And there's been examples of people in the past. I mean, Tony Dungy won a Super Bowl. There's been plenty of black coaches who have done the job, done the job well, and been coordinators, been head coaches, been front office executives. They do the job. The, the, the fact is, Rob, that people either choose to pay attention and acknowledge the truth or not. And hopefully this is going to be another example of what Bruce did you know, in Tampa Bay this past year. It's just another example of something being done that people haven't, that we're just not doing enough of, and whether or not they're going to pay attention to it, acknowledge it, and allow it to be the truth. The most common criticism I hear is that no matter what the NFL does, no matter how many forums they have, platforms they put out there telling owners and telling teams that there is a pipeline, there's an influx of candidates who are available, that ultimately, unless you get minorities in ownership, and there, there's only Shaq Khan in, in Jacksonville, right? Uh, how do you answer that? How do you feel about that kind of criticism? Is it fair? Is it warranted? Well, I think it's accurate. I don't know if it's fair. I don't know if it's warranted, but it's certainly accurate. The fact is that there are no black owners in the National Football League. We've got women that are owners and are working in those roles and making decisions, but we don't have it in terms of people of color and black ownership. So to me, whether it's fair or warranted, however people, because fair and warranted is, is how things are received, right? But the fact is that it's accurate. So to me, you know, the, those decisions are made at such a high level. When teams are bought and sold, it doesn't involve any of the foot soldiers, so to speak, or the people that that someone like me isn't going to influence it. A head coach isn't going to influence it. Ownership is ownership. And that group of people decides who becomes owner, who will become an owner and who doesn't become an owner. What is your hope as 
we have this forum on Monday. There's the quarterback summit, the coaching summit on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's hard to put numbers on a, a, the next head coaching search, the next GM search, or quantify. But but what is your hope that can be the greatest takeaway out of these uh, out of these meetings? Well, what I hope happens is that there's real relationships that are cultivated because very often what happens is we put policies, programs, and events in place. And then it's about the follow-up because the fact that we're going to spend a couple of hours together and do things and teach and educate, and there's going to be a bunch of people that are presenting, that's all well and fine. But what we need to do is the people that we're reaching out to and helping, we need to cultivate relationships and make those relationships real and make sure that we follow up and mentor people. Because just because you give someone an opportunity and put them in a position I don't care who the head coach is or who the general manager is, every person that did that for the first time, when you're put in one of those situations, you still need a, you need a mentor. You need a godfather. You need a rabbi. You need someone who's going to help you, who's been there, that's going to help share information with you and help you through that process. So to me, I hope that this is a starting point, not only of opportunity, but a starting point for the cultivating and mentorship that needs to be available for people that are making changes. You were with several NFL teams, Cleveland, Baltimore, Jets, New England, KC, Atlanta, obviously won the three Super Bowls with Bill in New England. Where where do you think was your best relationship? Would it be that one with Bill Belichick? Oh, I, well, there, there were multiple relationships. I mean, obviously, Bill's someone I've known probably in terms of my NFL life the longest. I mean, I bet Bill when I was in college. So I obviously had and still have a terrific relationship with him. I had terrific relationships with the owners that I worked with and for and people at all different levels. I, you know, the relationship is is such a tough thing because there's so many different types of relationships um, that are cultivated and people that you work with. And uh, to me, they're all important. And that's the key is that you can't treat any of those relationships as if they're not important because they're all very important. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you. Jalen Suggs was the first athlete in Minnesota history to win the state's Mr. Basketball and Mr. Football Awards in the same season. He chose basketball, went to Gonzaga, and led them to the NCAA championship game as a freshman earlier this year. In fact, he hit a 30-foot bank shot to beat UCLA in a Final Four game and send the Zags to the title game, which they lost. The six foot five guard is expected to go in the top five of the NBA draft. Many analysts have him going at four to Toronto. Some even have him going at number one. I sat down with Jalen last month after he surprised Chet Holmgren to tell him he was named the 2020-2021 Gatorade National Boys Basketball Player of the Year. Here's my conversation with Jalen Suggs. Jalen, you were the first athlete man in Minnesota state history to win Mr. Football and Mr. Basketball titles in the same season. What did that mean to you to be able to do that, be the first guy? Um, it was an honor uh, to be able to win both of the awards um, in two sports that I put my all into that, that I love, you know, with everything I got. Um, and then for, for it to, you know, pay off and to receive that award. Um, it was great. Uh, I was extremely happy. And, you know, the football one, Honestly, surprised. I knew I was in the. I know I was in the mix for it. I was in the running, but then, but to to receive that, 
uh, it was great. And, you know, my parents and everyone tell you I was shocked and I was excited. Um, so, yeah, just to be, to be able to do that um, for both sports, you know, I put so much work into uh, it was a testament, you know, uh, of my of how much I put into them. Well, you were clearly a top prospect in football. So how difficult was it to choose only one sport to choose basketball? Uh, it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was something that took, you know, a couple of days, you know, about a week, really. You know, many conversations, you know, talking with my dad, you know, with some with some close family, close friends, uh, with coaches and um, ultimately, you know, just time to myself, you know, and, and making the best decision for myself, for my family, for my future. Um, and so I had to go go ahead to Gonzaga. So I had no distractions. Uh, I didn't have to walk past the football facility and, you know, have it looking at me every day because I know that if I did. I would have taken that left or right into the into the stadium and I would have gone and, and done something with the football team. Uh, but I wouldn't take anything back, though. Uh, my experience at Hagen Gonzaga was second to none. It was amazing. And uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, you got to clear something up for me, because I read a story that said you were playing football quarterback at four years old with 10 year olds. Like that's mind blowing to me. Did that happen? What was that like? What was that experience? Could you even remember it? Uh, no, nah, I was a little guy playing up, and it was good for the most part. I played defense. Um, it, it was great. Uh, it wasn't really, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was out there. I wasn't just, you know, another little guy out there, no impact. Like, I was having an impact and everything, and I was good. Um, there was two times I remember vividly. Uh, one, uh, under center, play action. I'm sitting back there ready to pass, and one of the hardest hitters, one of the biggest dudes um, in tenure in our, in our league that year came off my blind side and just killed me. And I remember laying on the ground crying, little four-year-old. They came and picked me up, brought me off the field. Um, and then one of my good buddies um, was coming around the corner running the ball. Again, one of the bigger dudes and better dudes in our league coming around the corner. And he had promised me that if it was me, he wouldn't run me over that bad. He would either stiff arm me or run out of bounds. And he mistook me, uh, he got a mistake in me for one of my teammates and he ran me all the way over. I remember laying flat on my back. I couldn't feel my left arm. <laughs> and um, so I remember those two vividly. But yeah, I've always played up in basketball, but in football as well. Well, I watched some of your highlights, man, and it looks like you're sitting in a pocket throwing passes in basketball. So how much does it help you to see the lane, to see the open guys, to find those guys like your quarterback background translates into hoops? It helps a lot, honestly. Um, and I mean, it's something that you would probably figure, but, you know, you wouldn't think that it would have that big of an impact. You're going from sport to sport, you know, have that much crossover. I mean, being in the pocket and having to read defenders and pass, you know, uh, lead your wide receiver to the open gap and open area. Uh, it's a lot of the same in transition and coming off a pick and roll um, and hitting a guy on a flare. Uh, they, they all translate into each other and then playing it. Uh, you know, of course, the easy one playing passing lanes, you know, and being a safety. Uh, you know, you get to read the eyes of the quarterback, the eyes of the point guard, whoever has the ball and, you know, kind of bait them in and throwing certain passes, you know, and then going to take it and go the other way. So uh, they both cross over and, and they each help each other out. Uh, so, I mean, again, I, I wouldn't be as good of a basketball player if I didn't play football and then uh, likewise the other way. 
Well, you did something that kids dream about from the minute they play basketball, NCAA tournament, Final Four. You hit a buzzer beater, beat UCLA, and take you guys into the championship. Like how often uh, – it's, it's just a few months ago, but people bring that up to you and, and really think – looking back at it, what was that moment like, man? Uh, they bring it up a lot. Um, and, you know, it, it was great. A crazy moment. I know it'll be – you know, it'll be in the – you know you know, best moments or whatever for however long. And, um, but really that game, that game was crazy. It was one of the best games that I've ever played in, you know, not, not me personally, not, but just the entire game, the atmosphere, um, the back and forth. And I think that was the only way that it was going to end for whether it was on our side or their side, something like that was going to have to happen in that game. Um, and that moment was wild. I mean, I remember that he may miss the, the little fadeaway, got the rebound and put it in. And three seconds on it, I looked up as soon as it went in and I started, I started to um I started to loop around. And Corey took it out super quick and I called out his name. And you know, he got it to me. And all I thought was get as far up the court as I can, you know, before I gotta put it up. And three seconds is a long time. You know, the, three seconds is a long time. So, I mean, I got up, you know, the defense was still, you know, trying to scramble and find find, find everybody in transition. And it's a shot that I've shot literally a million times. I mean, messing around in the gym, um, you know, after workouts, before workouts, or just in there, you know, messing around and uh, to the left and went in and straight to the table um, and looked up and all my family was there. Uh, friends was there. Our whole uh, fan section was right there. And uh, just to be able to, for them and everybody there to experience that moment, uh, it was great. Jalen, you're expected to be projected to be a top five pick in the NBA draft. What are you hoping for? What are you thinking about? How are you preparing for this moment? Because it's obviously going to be the biggest moment of your life to this point. Just trying, trying to stay humble and stay focused. You know, I'm getting better every day right now. Um, is really what's on my mind. Uh, not not looking too far ahead or getting caught up, you know, in the future or whatever situations that could go down, uh, but trying to control what I can control. And then, I mean, obviously just enjoying it, enjoying the whole process and taking it all in because I can't, I'll never be able to replicate or do this again or, you know, be part of the pre-draft process and, uh, and get ready for the draft. So uh, that's really what I'm doing right now. Um, and then just wanting to hear my name called. You know, one in four or one in one team to say with whatever pick, you know, they select Jalen Suggs. And, you know, that would be a dream, something I've dreamed about my entire life. That I've talked about with, you know, people I hold, you know, real close to my circle. And, um, yeah, just want to experience that, you know, with, with all my people, family, friends that have got me to this. That's one for you. What was it like to talk to Chet and tell him he is the Gatorade player of the year. Here's a guy you played with. He's following you now to Gonzaga as you're leaving. What was that moment like? I know you guys are good friends. Yeah, it was special being being able to be a part of that moment with him, you know, and his presentation of him getting that. Uh, it was great, you know, just because we've been so close. You know, that's my little big brother. Uh, and uh, I know he's worked so hard to be the position he's in right now. You know, I've got to see all the behind the scenes work and, you know, it's paying off now and he's getting the recognition that he, you know, deserves. Uh, so that was extremely fun, and I, I couldn't be more proud, you know, to get to give it to him today. Jalen, thank you, man. I appreciate your time and wish you a ton of blessings in the NBA. Thank you. I appreciate it.
for some final thoughts, I have a few words about lists and rankings. Everybody likes to make one top 50 players, top 25 quarterbacks, or top 40 in a recent one done by Chris Sims. Here's the deal. Best this, best that. That's awesome. That's great for clicks, views, talk radio fodder. But in reality, you shouldn't get worked up if your guy, your team, your favorite player, whoever it is, is ranked too low. It's just one person's opinion. That's it for this week. Thank you to Jalen Suggs and Scott Pioli, and thank you for listening. Please be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. Also check out my colleague Ralph Russo and his AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Share, review, tell a friend about both of them. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing.